A very good morning. My name is Neil. I'm married to the uh, wonderful Kate. Uh, together we lead this church. It's very lovely to see you all here this morning. If you're new or visiting, you're particularly welcome. The rest of you are welcome as well. The great news is, is that um, last week at the sing-along, which was absolutely fantastic, if you weren't here, you missed a real treat. Uh, Manny and Sinead did an amazing job uh, leading us all in the sing-along. Uh, but we broke the clock. Uh, we knocked the clock off, and so I have no idea what the time is. So settle in. No, I don't want to know. I have no. It's. Uh, we're just. We could be here forever, uh, which is, which would be great. Uh, it's second week of Advent. If you were here last week, we were saying that over Advent we want to use this as a time to uh, to take time, to pause, uh, to take breath to kind of slow down, to stop, and uh, reflect. There's something about uh, the rhythm of this preparatory season of Advent, and it it kind of helps us, uh, if we use it right, if we pay attention, if we slow down for long enough, it can help us remember, it can help us recover something of the mystery, something of the excitement, the anticipation uh, that Christmas really ought to have and um, as we approach the darkest time of year, Advent is kind of like this signpost in the dark. And what it does is it points back to Jesus' birth, and it also points ahead to his return. It's it's kind of like this beacon of hope in the darkness. Uh, Advent means um, coming or arrival, and it's actually about two very different things at the same time. On the one hand, it's celebrating the first coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, uh, and at the same time, it's also looking ahead to his second coming, the return of Jesus, when he will put everything right, when he will restore and reconcile and redeem the entire uh, world. And so in Advent, what we do is we're, we're thinking back, we're, we're joining in with the ancient story of the people of God, God's rescue operation uh, for a world in ruins, we're following the story, the narrative throughout the scriptures of um, Israel's hope, you know, a hope that refused to die, you know, even against all of the, the terrible odds, um, a hope that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we believe became human in the baby Jesus at uh, Christmas. And what became really clear is that on that first advent, it, it was clear that God's rescue operation for us and for the world had been decisively begun, but it became apparent quite quickly that it wasn't yet completed in all of its fullness. And so in the life of Jesus, in his birth and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus launches, he inaugurates the kingdom of God as it is you know, on earth, as it is in heaven, but it becomes clear, it's clear to us some 2,000 years later, um, just because of the, the nature of this kingdom, the sort of kingdom that this was, that it, it hasn't reached its fulfillment yet, and that this kingdom was going to have to continue unfolding. It was going to have to make its way through the lives, through the self-giving sacrifice of, of followers of Jesus, through this thing um, primarily called the church, and until the time uh, when Jesus would return and uh, finish his work and things will be reach their fulfillment all things will be put right and he will banish evil and death forever and he'll bring everything completely together and so 
During this season of Advent, what we're doing is we're celebrating the first coming of Jesus, um, and we use that sense of fulfillment of his already coming to, to give us hope and uh, faith and confidence for his second coming. And so it, it really is sort of true now and not yet kingdom theology, because we find ourselves living in this tension between the first Advent and uh, the second and so in this run-up to Christmas, uh, really we want to do all that we possibly can to, um, as Eugene Peterson says, and I say frequently, interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of the Almighty. And we want to do all that we can to reflect on this season. And so we want to take time to um, slow down where we choose to interrupt ourselves, to make space, to take time to resist the urge, the clamor, um, the urge to be kind of hurried and harried, to take time to pause and to take stock. And so we decided, it felt like the Lord said, just look at four themes over, Chris, uh, over Advent. So last week we looked at waiting. Today we'll look at stillness. Next week we'll look at giving. And then finally we'll look at feasting. Uh, and then this evening, as Kate's already said, we're going to come together and join together in the carol service, which again, you know, that's not just like a thing that we do. This is an important um, act and an important celebration for us as a church family to come together, to gather together and mark this most wonderful time of year. So um, we'd love to see you and all your friends and family there. In the meantime, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 39, I think. I think the words might come up on the... Oh, yeah, look at that. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 39. At that time... Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. If you remember from last week, um, Elizabeth is pregnant. She's expecting uh, John the Baptist, and Mary's had this annunciation. They both, Zachariah and Mary, have had these visits from the angel Gabriel. Uh, Mary's had this visit from Gabriel, and so she's run off to see her cousin Elizabeth to see kind of what's going on. Uh, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, the John the Baptist, um, I think she's about six months pregnant at this point, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I, Elizabeth, so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, and Mary sang, this is Mary's song. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants, forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. I don't know if Elizabeth wanted her there, but she stayed for three months. 
Um, did you notice verse 39? Um, verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a, a town in the hill country of Judea. And actually, hurry is the exact opposite of what I want us to talk about this morning. So that's a very tenuous uh, link that I have pulled in there. But, um, you know, Mary may have had good reason to hurry to see Elizabeth, but there's something about the speed and the pace of our lives, the relentless hurry that so many of us find ourselves in that I think bears reflecting upon, especially during this season of Advent as we, we take some time to slow down and to pause and to stop. And, and when I say hurry, I, I'm not just talking about like a general kind of level of busyness, although, you know, of course it could mean that. I'm referring, I think, to that pace of life, you know, that hurry, that kind of busyness um, that is so relentless and so pervasive and so subtle that means that actually we no longer even notice. We no longer maybe um, notice what's going on in our own hearts and in our own lives just because we're so busy. I haven't got time to stop and pay attention to what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my life. Maybe we don't even notice because we're so busy what's going on in the lives of the people around us, what's really going on in the lives of the people around us. Maybe we're just so busy, maybe we're just in such a hurry that we no longer even notice what God is doing, even in our very midst. And that the Spirit of God, the presence of the Spirit of God could be right here, right now. And we're so busy, we're so hurried, that we miss it. Uh, Dallas Willard called um, hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And he said we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And so as we enter into this season of, season of Advent, what better time to sort of, you know, do a bit of a health check, take our pulse, you know, do the blood pressure thing, um, and, and, and just find out how we are. Check our pace. See how we're doing with hurry. Is the pace of our lives slow enough for us to notice? to notice the things that God would have us notice, to notice the season we're in, to notice Jesus coming, to notice him, to notice ourselves, to notice others, to notice the world in which we live. Carl Jung once said, that hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And the trouble with that kind of language is that um, many of us think of a little sort of, you know, man in a red suit with a pitchfork and all of that kind of stuff. But how many of us would think of the devil as, you know, I don't know, that endless stream of alerts on your phone, or even more overtime at work, or just another activity crammed into an already busy weekend, or a third little, you know, a third sport for little Johnny, or whoever it may be, and whatever it may be. And yet, the effect of hurry, actually, on our souls can be pretty devastating. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he writes, most people are just too busy to live an emotionally healthy and spiritually rich life. Which is a bit worrying. The ongoing effect of all of this busyness on our soul, on our society, is definitely having a toll. You know, when you think about it, what's the first thing most of us say or most people that we speak to or many people that we speak to say when you're asked the question of you know how are you 
Most people say something like, you know, oh, you know, good, busy, busy, very, very, very busy. I mean, they may not be busy, but they feel like they ought to say busy because that somehow legitimizes uh, what they're doing. And, and, and that sense, that response of busy, busy, maybe that's a cue that should wake us up and alert us and, and make us pay attention. Because everyone seems to be busy. We're busy. Our friends are busy. Our children are busy. Everyone is busy, 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 busy. Um, we do need to clarify there are different kinds of busyness. You know, there's a type of busyness which just means that you've got like a lot to do. You know, you're not wasting your life. So busyness isn't bad. You're not, you're not wasting your life on, I don't know, Call of Duty or another Netflix binge or, or, or whatever else it might be. Um, you're busy giving away your life. You're busy intentionally spending your life. You're busy giving away the precious commodity of your time to what matters. You know, that's kind of a reflection of your values. And, and by that definition, Jesus himself was busy. But there's another form, uh, and it's another far more common kind of busyness. And it's that kind of busyness where we've just got too much to do. There's just too much to be done. And, and I think it's this kind of busyness that Bill Gates was referring to when he said, busy is the new stupid. It's the kind of busyness or hurry that means that we've just literally got too much to do and not enough time to do it. And so the only way that we can cram it all in is to speed up. We can't speed up time, so we have to speed up. I've got to speed up my mind. I've got to speed up my body. I've got to speed up my relationships to this frantic, frenetic and frantic pace just so that I can squeeze it all in by the end of the day. And this can have all kinds of implications for our emotional health, our spiritual life. Uh, one writer carried out a survey and concludes this. It may be the case that, firstly, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to do life and how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and the whole cycle begins again. Pastors, uh, by the way, in that survey came out the worst. Um, he rated pastors right up there with doctors and lawyers for being caught up in a useless kind of busyness, not a useful kind of busyness. Um, not this one, not me, of course. The problem is, you know, this kind of busyness, if it exists and if it exists in our life, is not going to do any of our relationships any good. It's not going to do any favors. It's not going to have, um, it's going to help our relationship with God. It's not going to help our relationship with ourselves. And it's not going to help our relationships with one another. Uh, Ronaldo Rauhauser wrote this. He said, today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We, we would like these things in our life. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. 
We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. He's a cheery chappy. What we mean by a spiritual life is basically our capacity to give and receive love in relationship with God and other people. To receive love from God and from others, but particularly from God. And then to give that love back to God and to the people around us, to our friends, to our family, to the neighbors, to the world. Um, And eventually, if we keep doing that for long enough, we're able to give love to even our enemies. There's a a Japanese theologian who wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God, uh, because apparently three miles an hour is essentially the speed at which um, we walk. And, And they wrote this, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow. Yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore it is the speed the love of God walks. Just walking with God, slow, steady, unhurried stillness. One of the first things we see when you read the the gospel stories, the account of the life of Jesus, is that Jesus was rarely, kind of if ever, in a hurry. Um, Dallas Willard was once asked to describe Jesus in one word, and he thought about it for a minute, and then he said, relaxed. And, you know, when, if we were asked to describe Jesus in one word, we might come up with all kinds of things like, you know, powerful, loving, wise, all of those things would be true, but relaxed. Something very winsome, something very attractive about that. You know, when you read the gospel stories, Jesus is so present. He is so present in the moment. He's present to his own soul. He's present to what's going on inside of him. He's present to what's going on outside of him. He's present to the spirit of God around him. He's present to the people that he encounters. He's present to the people in need. He's not just present to the important people or the, 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 the high energy person. He's present to those who need an encounter with God. And you know, you read the Gospels and it's easy to miss that, I think, about the life of Jesus. But this, just this week, as you're reading uh, the Bible, as you're reading the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, have a look at how he paced his life, particularly just pay attention to how much of Jesus' teaching, how much of his ministry was in response to interruptions. How many interruptions does Jesus get, like all the time? And then look at how he responds. Now, I don't know about you, but um, usually I respond to interruptions with sort of anxiety at best and irritation and anger at worst. Jesus responds with compassion. He responds with wisdom. He responds with presence. He responds with kindness. He responds with love because he's just relaxed. He's just not in a hurry. 
And he calls you and I as his apprentices to slow down to that loving kind of um, speed of relationship. But um, this whole thing, this idea of slowing down, you know, to walk uh, through life at three miles an hour, slowing down you know, to be still, slowing down to get rid of hurry, you know, that, that, there's a lot of challenge uh, in there. But I think there's an invitation from Jesus for us to slow down to deal with our busyness and to make space for more love, basically, in our lives. Because hurry doesn't leave us much time for love. Hurry sabotages our capacity to both receive and to give love. Um, Busyness and hurry can get in the way, first of all, of, of us receiving love. We're so busy that we can't even receive love. We can't receive love from God. We can't receive love from others because we're just too busy. Uh, the train has left the station and is hurtling down the tracks. You know, we, we let God love us you know, through what Paul and the tradition of Jesus call contemplation, where we just take time. Um, it's not like very exciting usually, but like we just take time. We find a, a quiet place and we enter into stillness and we just contemplate the love of God. We receive God's love when we slow down for long enough and we are still for long enough just to be able to direct our gaze and the gaze of our heart towards his. And as we do so, what happens is we begin to experience God's love. We begin to receive God's love, not just in our mind. You know, Paul said, you know, that you might know the love of God that passes knowledge. You know, Paul's is brilliant intellectual, but there's, there's more as well. It's not just theology, it's not just doctrine, not because those things are bad, but we are to experience the love of God. We, we need to be actually loved by God. We need to feel the love of God. We need to be loved by God's sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters, so that we can become people of love. But this takes time. You know, it takes time to let God um, love us into our best selves. For all the talk about um, you know, personal relationship with Jesus, it, it can be easy for us to forget that a relationship, you know, at least a meaningful one, takes time. Relationships, meaningful ones, take a huge amount of investment of time. You know, one of the reasons that some of us don't have many really close relationships, some of the reasons, one of the reasons that many of us don't have deep friendships or the deep friendships that we long for and we crave for is because we or the people that we want to be close to just don't have time. One of the principal ways that we love one another is by giving time and attention to each other. And it's exactly the same in our relationship with God. You know, we don't get intimacy either with God or with one another without spending lots of time together. That's how it kind of works. The Anglican uh, priest, W.F. Adams, he was um, C.S. Lewis's spiritual director for many years. He, he once called hurry the death of prayer. And he said to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. So as well as sabotaging our ability to receive love from God and from others, hurry also gets in the way of our capacity to, to give love. You know, I don't know about you, but um, pretty much all of my worst moments, or, uh, yeah, 
I am particularly bad at many things, but, but, but this is when I'm particularly bad. Bad as a husband, bad as a father, bad as a friend, bad as a pastor, bad as whatever, bad as a human being, um, is when I'm in a hurry. It's like when I'm like busy, when I'm maxed out, it's when I don't have time and I'm stressed out because in my heart, regardless of what I may be saying, like in my heart, I'm like saying, I don't have the capacity for you right now. Could you please just sort this and fix it? Because I've got other things to do. I've got other places to be. And I, I, can, I know it's hard to imagine, right? But this is true. I can get pretty stressy. Um, I can get pretty stressy if I um, discover that I'm not going to arrive somewhere on time. I quite like to be punctual. Uh, not everyone in my household um, uh, feels the same way. Our children are terrible. That's it. So, I mean, there's an occasion. I mean, I'm trying to, I was trying to rack my brain as an example of, of when this could I think there was an occasion, I think it was about 11 years ago, uh, we were trying to get out of the house, and, um, and, and, and I was ready, downstairs, ready like, to leave so that we'd get where we need to get to on time. Um, not everyone was ready. And, and um, no. I haven't named anyone, have I? Huh? Could be anyone. All my children are over 11, by the way. Uh, can't be the dog. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, it's not a shaming thing. Like, it's okay to not be punctual. It's just I like to be punctual. And, um, and not everyone is on the same time zone, which is fine. Like, the point is, I'm going to stop. Shh, please, 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 please. I, I, I just need to stop. So um, the point I'm trying to make isn't about other people's lack of punctuality. The point I'm trying to make is that when I'm like um, 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes behind what I think is like schedule, I lose the... Like, I get stressed. I get stressed. I get angsty. I get irritable. I get sarcastic. Um, my heart is not overflowing with peace and joy. I'm like, can we please leave? And there is no compassion. Mostly it's just anger, it's frustration, it's irritation, it's sarcasm, it's impatience. Over what? Like 90 seconds. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Does it really matter that much? You know, you look at um, Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the first way he describes it, he says, love is patient. <laughs> Fail. There's a whole chapter. I mean, I haven't got past like the third word. Uh, another way of translating that is love is unhurried. You know, uh, love is not in a rush. Love takes all the time that's necessary. Uh, Thomas Merton, here's another cheery one for you. He called hurry a pervasive form of contemporary violence. Because it kills relationships, it kills compassion, it kills, com- kills wisdom. In, in Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander, he wrote this, there is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs, activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form of its innate violence. 
to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our own activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. So, what to do? Well, if hurry is a problem, I, I would argue that the solution isn't actually more time. I think the solution um, is perhaps to slow down and simplify our lives and to invest in becoming people of love again. And what better place to start um, slowly but surely eliminating hurry from our lives than through stillness. And so over the next few weeks in the run-up to Christmas, this is an invitation to a radically countercultural concept, particularly in the run-up to Christmas, and that is to slow down and be still. Um, and first, just let's start you know, with just paying attention. Just pay attention to the speed at which you move through your week and the speed at which you move through your day. Pay attention to your mind and your body. And how often do you notice yourself being in a hurry? And what does that feel like? And then what might be the impact that that's having on your relationships? What impact is that having on the people who are right in front of you? Just notice just notice how fast you are living life, not with judgment, not with guilt, not with shame, nothing like that, just an awareness. That's the first thing, just notice, just take stock in the run-up to Christmas of how fast we're running through life. And then the second thing is to practice slowing down by just saying no. Um, maybe just cut something out of your week. Maybe cancel something. Um, maybe don't go to every Christmas drinks party that you've been invited to. You know, I don't know. Just, just find ways to practice saying no to stuff. You know, maybe say no to your devices. Maybe, maybe practice putting your devices away um, for a night, 24-hour period, or 12 hours, or 10 hours, or something. I don't know. Just say no to them for a while. Maybe do something you love instead. Maybe go for a long walk or meet up with a, a friend. Interrupt something to go and meet with a friend and have a real conversation. Choose to have a meaningful conversation with them. And sit down and, I don't know, read some poetry or go for a run or whatever your thing is, right? Maybe just take a nap. Uh, whatever it is, uh, practice what Richard Foster, you know Richard Foster who wrote Celebration of Discipline, he calls it um, the spiritual discipline of slowing, this is interesting, where you intentionally place your mind and body in situations where you have to wait in order to let God transform you into a person of compassionate love. The spiritual discipline of slowing where you intentionally Place your mind and body in situations where you have to wait in order to let God transform you into a person of compassionate love. I love the idea of that. This just fills me with joy. Just see how it goes. I, I've, actually, I've actually started, I've been doing this for a little while, I've, I've started a, a daily sort of practice of slowing down um, 
<laughs> so, um, so I've started, I'm not very good at it, but I'm, I'll just tell you what I've kind of been doing. So I've started driving slowly. Well, I started driving within the speed limit, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is really slow, right? Um, I mean, I haven't had much choice on the Upper Richmond Road lately, I'm, <laughs> but uh, that's back to the waiting thing. But um, uh, So I've started driving slowly, and I realized how fast I drive, and that, that's not good. So I started driving slowly, and then I've made this decision to let every single car out in front of me. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a bit, and I'm not quite, like angsty about it. So I, I do that, right? Um, and I'm not very good at that, but I, I, I'm, I'm doing that. And then uh, another thing is um, when I'm in Waitrose, I've decided to um, intentionally slow down. So I, I've become one of those <laughs> irritating people who just ambles around a supermarket. <laughs> I think I'm getting old. <laughs> um, maybe I'm just like slightly but surely getting decrepit. It's not actually a spiritual thing. It's maybe I just can't move as fast as I could anymore. But um, <laughs> my driving, walking, okay. Um, yeah, just become old, okay? Um, so I, I kind of um, wander around a waitress, and it's been really interesting because I've chosen to just pay attention to what's going on instead. So I've, I've opened my eyes to a whole range of other things that I hadn't seen before, mostly like people and um, stopping and having a chat about somebody who's buying some interesting ingredient and what they're doing about that and what they're going to use it for and helping some old person get something off a shelf that they can't read. Or just, you know, normal human being type things I don't normally do. Um, and then what I do is, I, I, as I leave Waitrose, I then choose the, 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 the checkout with the longest queue. Um, intentionally placing my mind and body in situations where I have to wait. Because I'm not good in queues. I mean, travel with me, right? Come on a holiday with me. Airports. <laughs> I'm, not a good I'm, not a, I'm not a good person in an airport. And so it's good for me to practice and challenge myself and realize that actually, do you know what? Waiting in a long checkout queue might be an opportunity for the Spirit of God to do something rather than just getting out of there as quickly as I possibly can. I, I'm, I'm not saying those things just because... Uh, I'm great, by any means. I, I'm pretty sure that I am no more compassionate or loving than I was a, a few weeks ago. But um, I've realized that I, I have just been rushing through things that I really haven't needed to rush through. The Spirit of God is saying, you don't need to rush through your life like this. This isn't who I've called you to be. This isn't what I've made you for. You know, is it, it's a question, you know, and the question is, is it even possible to live in the kingdom of God? with such a hurried and harried soul. And I'm not, sure that it, I'm not sure that it is. And so with the season of Advent upon us, let's um, take time to slow down, to be still, to choose. It's a great opportunity to choose a different rhythm and pace of life, one that allows us to receive God's love for us, one that allows us to receive the love of others for us, one that allows us to give God's love back to him in worship, and one that allows us to give God's love to others through acts of compassion. And so my invitation to us all this Advent is let's slow down enough so we can, so we can just notice, just pay attention. Notice you know, what Christmas is actually all about. What's the invitation from the Holy Spirit to us each?
this Christmas. Um, notice the life-giving and life-changing actual message of the nativity. Notice that Jesus has come and that Jesus is coming again. Why don't you stand?